And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. It is the beginning of another week. Another busy broadcast week. Glad to have all of you here. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me, and we are live from the bunker, broadcasting to Odyssey, YouTube, and Facebook today. Happy to have all of you here. The live chat is active. You can also leave a comment if you're not with us live. If you're here in playback, that's fine. Email address live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. We have a newsletter. You want to sign up for that? This show and the H2O podcast are both available as podcasts as well on a number of different podcast platforms. If you prefer to Take us with you and listen while you're going about your day. I know there are a few people that do that. And it's good to see all of the traffic that we've got. Uh, listeners in Australia and Germany and Iceland and Russia. People from all over the world. We're glad you're all here with us as well. Oh, what a day. What a day. What a day. All right. So, a, f- a few things going on. Uh, yesterday, we dropped a new uh, Salacious Crumbs. Uh, just a real quick programming note reminder Salacious Crumbs is now on Sundays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 Central. Episode 123 dropped yesterday. And of course, we've got the H2O podcast tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. So we hope you join us for those as well. Because you never know. We might be talking about something interesting. Maybe. Over at SciFiForMe.com, we are in the midst of preparing reports. For the DC fandom that happened over the weekend, so we'll be uh, we'll be posting some articles, some different news that came out of that. Uh, also, if you are interested in video games, uh, right now as we're doing this show, uh, intern Ryan is over at our Twitch channel. Uh, we call it Sci-Fi for Me TV Two, and he's playing Portal Two. So uh, so if you're interested in that stuff video games and whatnot go check ryan out uh, give him a give us a follow over there right now we're just on the cusp on the cusp of a hundred uh of a hundred followers over there it's not a lot but you know our activity is relatively sporadic so it comes and goes depending on how many people that we've got available so there is that all right so uh, a real quick thing this broke this morning uh, Variety reporting a number of the trades are reporting. Disney has delayed the Marvel movies uh, back one position in line, as well as Indiana Jones 5. Uh, so instead of Doctor Strange 2 going head-to-head with The Batman, 
they're going to move it back. So this is, uh, this is from the article, Disney has delayed release plans for several upcoming films, including Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, from March 25th to May 6th, Thor Love and Thunder from May 6th to July 8th, Black Panther Wakanda Forever from July 8th to November 11th, and with the Black Panther sequel jumping to November, The Marvels has been postponed to early 2023. As part of the rollback, Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania was bumped from February 17th to July 28th, 2023. And then we have uh, Indiana Jones 5, going from July 29th of next year to June 30th of 2023. So they're delaying Indiana Jones almost an entire year. Okay, that... All right. But this is, you know... Studios do this. Hey, you know, the rea- they saw the reaction to the Batman trailer and everybody's all excited about the Batman and, and Robert Pattinson has a, has a chance to redeem himself with genre fans. Now, a lot of people have talked about how great an actor he is in other things, in, uh, in other projects that don't have anything to do with superheroes or, va- or vampires. So this is, this is Pattinson's chance to kind of get his geek cred back, I guess. I don't know. It's, I remember when, when Michael Keaton was first announced that he was going to be playing Batman, everybody, everybody blew a gasket. They thought, oh, he's, he's comedian. He's a comedy actor. Uh, and I've talked about this before. He's, uh, I, I saw him in clean and sober. Uh, just, I think that movie came out just a little bit after they announced he was going to be playing Batman. And Clean and Sober is not a comedy. Uh, Clean and Sober is a very tough... uh, It's not necessarily hard to watch, but it is very striking in in how that story plays out. And Michael Keaton does an excellent job of someone who is going through... Uh, you know, fighting and recovering from a drug addiction, and it's it's some powerful stuff. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It is it is good work. But I saw that, and when I saw Clean and Sober, I I my doubts were were allayed. I was like, yeah, Keaton could do Batman. Keaton could do drama, and comedy comedy performers generally are able to make that kind of a switch. Going the other way, if you've got a dramatic performer who's going to try his hand at comedy, doesn't always work, but comedic performers, comedic actors, comedi- you know, comedians who are on stage, they generally are able and I'm 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 painting with a broad brush here and and generalizing. But you look at somebody like Robin Williams, you look at somebody like Will Ferrell, uh, 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 um, Paul Rudd. I was about to say Scott Snyder. Paul Rudd. The, the the if you have comedic chops, it's a sense of timing. It's a sense of where the energy is in the bit, and that translates into drama. It can translate. You know, we've talked a number of times about how horror and and comedy are, are essentially mirrors of each other. It's the same kind of thing. You have the setup, you have the payoff, you have the reaction. Uh, you know the 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 relaxation moment, the you know the aftermath, and then you do it again, and that's a three-step thing. The you know the joke, the punchline, and then 
the release, you know, that, that tension of release, whether it's laughter or whether it's a, oh, okay, I didn't die. <clears throat> Comedic actors can do that kind of thing in drama because they understand the nature of timing and, and that sort of thing. So I, after I saw Michael Keaton in Clean and Sober, I thought, okay, yeah, he can do Batman. Robert Pattinson has the same... Same issue, but different. And howdy, Miserus. I do see you there in the chat. Pattinson has a different type of issue having to prove himself because of the Twilight movies and the whole sparkly vampire thing, which, to be fair, is not something that Robert Pattinson necessarily would have been responsible for. That would be the producers and the directors and whoever else. If you have, uh, you know, you have a number of people who are talking about Pattinson as an actor in various other things, The Lighthouse being one of them, the thing he did with uh, uh, Willem Dafoe. And people generally seem to think that, that Robert Pattinson is an excellent actor. In the genre realm, however... We all know him as a sparkly vampire, and the, you know the joke is the next, you know, the next Blade sequel. It's a crossover with Twilight, and you know that kind of thing. So it's it's now a matter of genre fans, science fiction, fantasy, horror fans who already have an assumed position with regard to Pattinson. And a lot of people, you know, making the jokes all all throughout the beginning of the press and the marketing of the Batman and when they, they announced his casting and all these things. He does have something to prove. And this movie will either completely resuscitate his genre career or it will kill it once and for all with fire. Uh, you know, George Clooney ha continues to make the jokes about destroying the Batman franchise with his, with his films. <coughs> and I don't, think, I don't think really that's fair to Clooney. But you can make that, you can make that, uh, that, you can project forward on that and say, well, yeah, yeah, those films didn't do very much in the way of of building the franchise, it did a lot of harm, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't Clooney's fault. I thought Clooney was fine as a Batman. Um, the costumes that's that's where it started to get a little ridiculous. And then you have you know some of the over to, over the top performances of everybody else. But I thought Clooney was fine. Um, you know he's he was a he was a, a respectable older Batman. And now we're going to get. The younger Batman. We're going to get Batman year two. Uh, and it does, or year one, depending on, on how, you, how you look at it, but it does appear like they may be pulling from Batman Earth One storyline uh, from Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Maybe. At least in terms of the aesthetic and, and which universe they're in. But I'm looking at this trailer for the Batman... And I, I, I don't see what everybody else sees. I don't, I don't get what everybody is so rah-rah excited 
over this because it i it it just it looks like it looks like more of the same it's same song different verse i i want to see now i'm i'm looking forward to the dark knight detective if we do get batman as a detective in this movie then great you know i want to see batman using his intelligence you know think think with our brains not with our fists type of thing right and the trailer of course is going to give you a lot of the flash and panache and the and the the fancy stunts and the action and explosions you, you want to get pumped about this thing right you want to get excited about this thing and i'm watching it and i'm thinking okay it's a batman trailer i i don't know if my reaction is I don't know if my my reaction is such that maybe it's an indicator. I, am I am I too jaded? Have I gotten too old for all of this? I've asked this question before, and I think about this a lot when it comes to um, when it comes to being a fan of things. I'm. Are we burned out on Batman? I don't know. Robert's in the chat. He says, part of why you're not excited is, one, you've experienced a dozen Batman movie launches. Two, you're too old. It probably is. Probably is a combination of those things. I don't know. I just... I... It doesn't feel different enough from what Christopher Nolan did. It doesn't feel different enough from what Zack Snyder did. When they were hyping this thing up as, you know, Batman as detective, I'm expecting a little bit more of that to be in the focus of the marketing because this is a new thing, right? It's a, it's a new type of story for Batman. But the trailers show uh, the same thing again. It's not any different from anything that we've had since Burton's movies. And I'm just not that excited about it. I'm not impressed. Yeah, some of the some of the stuff okay, it yeah, that's clever and that's a that's an interesting shot and okay, but it just it I it left me feeling no interest whatsoever I mean I might go see it but I don't have a burning drive to go see it I don't have a uh, I don't have this you know craving in my gut that I've got to be there opening night and and see this thing I don't know I just I'm, I'm just frustrated a frustrated fan i guess because we're not getting anything new with this stuff which might not necessarily be a bad thing i mean when you do get something new you don't necessarily don't necessarily like the new stuff either because here we are coming out of dc fandom We've got Superman's motto being changed. It's no longer truth, justice, and the American way. It's now truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Okay. 
This is Variety uh, reporting out of very the article author quote uh, uh, reading from the article here. Superman is officially moving on from the American way. Jim Lee, chief creative officer and publisher of DC, announced on Saturday during the virtual fan event DC Fandom that the Man of Steel's motto will be evolving from the well-known mantra that he fights for truth, justice, and the American way. Superman's new mission statement, truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. In a press statement, the company said the decision is meant, quote, to better reflect the storylines that we are telling across DC and to honor Superman's incredible legacy of over 80 years of building a better world. I want to stop right there. Because when I heard this, you know, truth, justice, and a better tomorrow, little red flag, hang on, hold on, flag on the play, blow the whistle. And reading this, 80 years of building a better world, I'm thinking, where have I heard that before? Where, Something about building, something about better, it... No, surely not. It's a very pertinent question to ask, how do we build back better? To build back better or whatever. We have a chance to reset Wait. the clock. And build back better than before. Have have we heard these words before? Have we heard these words before? I mean, it's it's one of those things. I think I think we've heard this before. I'm not gonna play this whole thing, but it's it's a supercut, and and I cannot get away from this notion that we're being played maybe uh, Cypher has not been in the chat good, uh, good to see you there we are the old generation we feel no highs or lows what's that like meh <laughs> Mazur says Jason has really collected a legion of like-minded, intelligent, snarky folk on this channel. How fun is that? Well, yes, I I I do appreciate uh, I do appreciate those of you who are in the chat. I am going to uh, I am going to uh, get rid of. Uh, I'm going to put you in time out for. No, I'm going to make that permanent. Just go. Just go away. So somebody over there in Odyssey deciding to be uh, a little bit more rude than I'm willing to take today, but the this notion of the whole the the whole build back better and the and the great reset and all of these things that we've been looking at on the political front, now suddenly we have this this slogan for Superman who wants to fight for truth, justice, and a better tomorrow, and it, and and couching it in the way they have with the press release talking about eighty years of of building a better world. It was like, hold on. That's just our, is, is DC actually doing what I think they're doing? Is DC participating in the propaganda campaign to get everybody inculcated and indoctrinated into this idea that the great reset is going to be a good thing? Because I don't think the Great Reset would be a good thing. And the only thing standing in the way of the Great Reset, ladies and gentlemen, is the American way. Our, 
our, our guaranteed freedoms, which are under assault right now, makes a big difference. And if DC is going to go this next thing where his next fight, you know, this, of course, Superman's son, Jonathan Kent, this is not Clark Kent, but the, the general population is not going to pay attention to that. Superman, and, and we've seen this before, Action Comics 900, when Superman renounced his American citizenship and he decided, I'm a, I'm, I'm a citizen of the world. Well, that Superman is gone. And now we're dealing with Jonathan Kent, the son of Superman, the son of Kal-El, as the current Superman because Clark is off on War World, away from the planet and, and not here. So, this Jonathan Kent, this Superman, here, this is, uh, this is cover art for Superman, Son of Kal-El, issue number seven. Now, issue number five is where he's coming out as bisexual. Issue number seven is going to jump, jump right here with this whole climate change protest thing, and... This is part of the problem with injecting current year real world politics into your stories. Now, 9-11 was a very unusual set of circumstances with the with the comic book publishers because this this massive event that happens in New York where a lot of superheroes are based in the in the comics, especially Marvel. You, you can't ignore something like that. But, as has been pointed out in several places over on social media, when it comes to things like climate change, it, Superman has powers beyond those of mortal men. We've heard that before, right? Faster than a locomotive, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, right? Also, in these comic book universes, there are people with the power to control the weather. This kind of thing here, where Superman is protesting climate change, how hard would it be? And, and this would be a very boring story, but how about Bruce Wayne, Lex Luthor, form a, a little consortium, and they bring in Mr. Freeze, Captain Cold, and the Weather Wizard, and let's, let's, let's knock out climate change here in about ten minutes. That's all you have to do. Over on Mar a Marvel side of things, just call Storm. Hey, Storm, you know, we're... Ozone, the ozone layer is a little thin today. Could you, could you, could you ionize, do, do your thing here for a little bit? Ten minutes, done, finished. You can't, you can't realistically, and this is one of the problems we've got with Zack Snyder's universe. Tim and I have talked about it on the H2O podcast. I did it again. Podcast where you're injecting super-powered alien beings and or mutants into the quote-unquote real world. You're going to apply real-world physics. You're going to try to put in 
real world politics and and political realities and and socioeconomic stuff and all of the, all of the you know current year and you're going to stick super powered beings in the midst of all of this it doesn't work because if you had somebody like a kryptonian who showed up everybody would be frightened to death because you don't have any kind of a guarantee that you're not going to get injustice for example and that movie has just come out i i i've gotten my copy i need to review it but you know this the scenario where superman decides okay i've had enough i'm taking charge i'm going to be the one to make policy and you're going to you're going to to run with it and you're going to do what i say because i have the power to kill you with my laser eyes it doesn't work that's why comic books are supposed to be an escape from the doldrums of reality that's why comic books are supposed to give us uh, some place where we can go and just kick back for half an hour or, or 15 minutes or however long it takes you to read a comic book. Just enjoy the story. If there's some subtext and you get a message out of it, okay, fine. But that shouldn't be the end-all, be-all of all of this. And Tom Taylor, as the writer, should understand this is not going to appeal to a big audience. This is just this is the Tumblr crowd or the TikTok crowd. This is this is Twitter. Nobody else cares. I just I don't know. Just all right. Um, Mazers is telling a tale that echoes current events should never be forced. Today it's always pushed to an unreasonable level. Sci-Fi Snob says, Better reflect always signals the beginning of corporation speak. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, Mazers says, Escapes are not good enough for the generations expecting wokeness in their product today. They want to be told wokeness will happen in fantasy as a form of comfort. Maybe. I, I think... I think some of that is not necessarily that they're looking for characters that they can identify with from a from a woke progressive politics type of of perspective. I think well, I think you get two uh, two schools of thought here. I think you have the people who are the creators getting into this mindset of we're going to make everything over in our image and we're going to turn the characters into these Tumblrati type of of people because it's all about clout. It's all about impressing their impressing each other's peers. This this kind of stuff here, where where they're doing these kind of stories, this is not for the general audience. It's for everybody else in the comic industry. It's for the other comic creators. You're impressing each other. Pats on the back. Oh, good job. You know, it's it's not about it's not about the audience because the audience is gone. You know, these these stories are are geared toward 
accolades and attaboys. And the comic book industry has always had a problem recognizing that it is first and foremost a business, an entertainment business. Jim Shooter made a huge impact on Marvel when he came in and said, okay, you know this is a business, right? We're here to make money, right? Which means schedules and deadlines, and you're going to get stuff done, and we're going to make comic books that sell to make money. And I don't think that people understand that anymore. I don't think people realize that. The, the comics industry always has had a problem with that. And now with social media and Twitter and TikTok and all this other stuff, they're even more mired in this clout-chasing... You know, give me, give me my, give me my cookie. Look what I did. You know, I'll, I'll sit up and beg and do my tricks for, for you know, it's dance monkey dance. But it's not to impress, it's not to impress anybody that's going to buy a comic book. It's going to impress, quote unquote, it'll impress the Twitter crowd who doesn't buy comic books, and they're a bunch of fifteen to sixteen, seventeen year olds or media, and they want to impress people like Gail Simone, or, or uh, uh, Alex DeCampi, or Heather Antos. You know, it's, it's the... It's a variation on the old boys club. Only now it's the, it's the progressives club. It's the progressive party. And... You're doing these things to signal that you're part of the you're part of the party. You're towing the party line. Look, hey, look, climate change, you know, sexuality and and world issues. They're not looking to entertain anyone. So, eh, okay. So, truth, justice, the American way is out, but. I do need to, in the interest of fairness, I do need to uh, bring your attention to this. This is Comic Book Resources, and their article here, this is from Brian Cronin, The American Way wasn't originally part of Superman's never-ending battle. And this, this is the flip side of this. Truth, Justice, and the American Way. The American Way didn't get started until World War II. The American way has not been part of the motto from the very beginning. It's been in and out. There have been changes to it. And as Cronin points out here, uh, it's, it's been gone before, and there hasn't been a whole lot of, well, of course, you know, this is back before social media was a thing. And I have to point out that with this issue, just like every other issue, the usual suspects have the usual reactions and you have the usual outrage on, on social media about it. This, yes, it's indicative of the people who are running things right now, but it's also not anything new. Uh, here's from, from CBR. Uh, talking about, uh, you know, they bring in Dean Cain and all of these different things. 
Uh, it says, the never-ending battle phrase originally appeared, it was in the popular Adventures of Superman radio series that aired from 1940 to 1951. And this is the introduction. Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, defender of law and order, champion of equal rights, valiant, courageous fighter against the forces of hate and prejudice, who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mattered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And that was it. That, that, that's, all, that's all there was. The American way didn't get added until we got into World War II. I mean, truth and justice was all we got in the Fleischer cartoons. It was mid-1942, the United States in World War II, the phrase the American way was added to the opening of the series, this is the, the Fleischer series. But later in the decade, after the war ended, it was dropped once again. In the Superman serial of 1948, which showed, uh, which had the, the Man of Steel's origin, Pa Kent tells him he must fight in the interests of truth, tolerance, and justice. So, the American way hasn't been there all the time. And the, the super friends, truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. So this is, this is Tempest and a Teapot. People are going to find the thing to complain about on the one side, and people are going to find a reason for, oh, yes, you know, well, of course, the American way is, is bogus. We should get rid of it. You know, you're on the other side. For me, I don't care. You know, it's, it's Tempest in a teapot. This is a bunch of noise, monkeys dancing in a circus. And it just really, it, <clears throat> let's find something to complain about, right? Uh Christopher is in the in the chat. Didn't Alex Ross attempt that with his Superman piece one shot, talking about the whole thing? I guess with Superman and and being in charge. I think so. I'm not familiar with that story. Uh, Christopher says it would be interesting to compare this new trend with what Denny O'Neill did during the Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Hard Traveling Heroes arc. That's a that's a that's an apt comparison. And if Tom Taylor does something like that, <coughs> maybe. But see, the thing about it is, though, uh, the problem, well, the, the challenge you're going to have with that is Green Arrow doesn't have any powers at all. He's like Batman. He's, he's just a regular, immortal person who's got, you know, he's got a bunch of gadgets and a bunch of skills, but he doesn't have any powers. Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, is... The same way, he's a mortal, and he doesn't have any kind of powers himself. The ring gives him powers, but if he doesn't have the ring, or the ring's not charged, then he doesn't have any powers. So, and I think, if I remember right, there was a point in that arc, or it might have been later, and I'd have to go back and and, and look it up and try to try to find this again, but there was a point where... Uh, Hal Jordan didn't have his ring, or he got kicked out of the cores. There was some, there was something there with him being expelled from the Green Lantern Corps for a while. I think he still had his ring, but they had limited what he could do with it. I, I may be remembering that wrong, so don't hold me to that. But the 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 hard traveling heroes arc might have some potential there if they're going to do something like that with Jonathan Kent. 
And it seems like they're kind of trying to do something like that uh, over at Marvel with the Captain, you know, the the Captain America, the United States of Captain America. We're doing the whole cross country trip with with Steve and Bucky and Sam. The problem that you run into with this is that you now have in charge of telling these stories a bunch of young, know-nothing 20-somethings who have no life experience, who have not gotten out into the world and interacted with people with various different points of view, and it's the, you know, it's the milkshake crew. It's the people who are spending all of their time in Starbucks and on TikTok and Snapchat and their swipe left, swipe right, and, and it's all headlines. They, they, they're, they're dining on scraps. You know, they're... They're the appetizer crowd. It's they're, they're the people, they'll go into the restaurants and they just order an appetizer. They don't get a full meal. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just, just give me a cup of coffee and some, and some potato skins. You know, that, that crowd. Well, they probably wouldn't do that. It would be avocado toast. A mocha latte with avocado toast. You know, they're not in there ordering steak and potatoes. It's that crowd that is now, right now, in charge and creating all of these stories. They don't have any life experience. They don't have perspective on the real world. And I, I get it. I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm painting with a broad brush. I'm speaking out of turn because there are probably some people who do have a little bit. And yes, I know. Uh, what's his name? Used to be in the CIA. Big deal. But Tom King, I think his name is. But the people that are telling these stories right now don't understand history. They don't have the depth of knowledge that a lot of people that came before them have. Um, And not just in comic book knowledge. Real world knowledge. History. Literature. Philosophy. Economics, all of those things blend in to give us the elements of good stories. If you look at Robert McKee's book about stories, he's talking about structure, but he's also talking about all the things that that can influence story. And, you know, you look at you, you look at George Lucas. George Lucas went to college for anthropology, study the study of civilizations. And story factors in to the the overall culture of a civilization. It it does have an impact. It does have an influence, but it's also influenced by the culture. There's a there's a cycle there. And when you don't understand one, you can't do the other. If you don't understand your history and your philosophy and your civilization and your culture, you can't tell stories about that culture. You can't, and, and this is not only black people can write black culture stories. They're not like that. I'm talking about just in, in general, an understanding of people, an understanding of how humanity works or doesn't work, depending on what kind of story you're telling. 
the 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 reactions to a lot of this also is an indicator that a lot of people who are out in the world, the Twitterati, the TikTok crowd, the Tumblr crowd, all of those people, they don't have an understanding of it either. They haven't read the classics. They haven't studied history or philosophy or economics. Everything is a bullet list, headline, five seconds to read it and move on to the next thing. There's no depth. There's no, there's no substance to what people understand nowadays. And a lot of it's younger people, yes, but older crowd too. Especially if they dive into a particular political ideology that's based on propaganda and facades, the superficial. If we focus so much on the superficial and we don't focus on the substance, then we're going to fall behind in a number of different areas, number of different realms. Uh, Christopher says it would be interesting to... Oh, yeah, I just read that. Mazur says, I joked last night on, on Ryan Kindle's channel that Red Sun has unintentionally become a warm-up round for ridiculousness with Superman. I found that movie interesting. I, You know, I kind of I like the Red Sun story. There are a lot of Elseworld stories that I think are pretty interesting. Red Sun is one of them. And one of the things that strikes me about Red Sun... And Speeding Bullets is another one. Is this idea that at the core of Superman, whether he's, you know, the avenging Dark Knight or he's, you know, a, a tool for the communists, at the core of Superman is this fundamental goodness and even when you tell the story about Kal-El being adopted by Thomas and Martha Wayne, who get killed in an alley, and Kal-El decides he's going to be this Dark Knight Avenger, and he dresses up and he becomes Batman. And throughout all of that story, he's influenced by the relationships that he's got, and, and, you know, falling for Lois and all of these, you know, the, the classic tropes kind of twisted sideways a little bit. And at the end of Speeding Bullets, he, he drops the Batman persona and becomes Superman. Red Sun, he's grown up in the Soviet Union, and at a certain point, Kal-El starts to look around and think, well, this isn't right. And the fundamental core goodness of Kal-El starts to come out and he's like well we should be taking care of our people we should be taking care of the people who don't have the power to influence or, or change things we have a responsibility you know it's that you know with great power comes great responsibility type of thing that we, that we get with Spider-Man Superman epitomizes that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm hesitant about injustice 
becoming this huge thing now? It's going to be this next thing? Yes, okay, it's a video game, and, and it's an excuse to pit all of these characters up against each other. All right, let them fight. But making it into an animated film and all of the hype around that and this this notion now we're we're coming into this mindset that superman is fundamentally maybe not good we, you know it's it's early on Jonathan Kent son of Kal-El as superman uh, and we do have an animated Super Sons that's coming. Uh, but like Perch pointed out, it's going to be a 90-minute commercial for, for comic books that don't exist anymore, that aren't written anymore, because they aged up Jonathan. You can't do Super Sons the way you, the way you probably should be doing. Because that comic book sold. People enjoyed that one. You know, Jonathan and Damien, best friends, going off on adventures together, Super ki- you know, Superboy and Robin, right? But now they've aged up Jonathan because they want to make him bisexual and now get him into politics. Why? I don't know. All right, speaking of getting behind, I'm behind on a break, so I'm going to do that real quick. When we come back, we're going to talk about the United States being behind China on something very, very, very dangerously interesting. So, yeah, don't go anywhere here. We'll be right back. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. Experience makes the difference. Since 2009, Sci-Fi For Me has been bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror have been on our radar from the beginning. And now, Sci-Fi For Me is bringing you something new. A new direction, new partnerships, new content, and all-new mix of programs on an all-new channel. Sci-Fi For Me TV, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Hi everyone, it's McKenna Talley from Salacious Crumbs. Just a quick reminder for all the latest Star Wars news and rumor, be sure to check out our show Salacious Crumbs right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV, Sundays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 Central. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here. Happy to have all of you with us. I'm going to switch gears here for just a couple of minutes here at the at the tail end of this, uh, this hour. A couple of things. One, I... Um, got this article here. This is from the Financial Times. The headline, China tests new space capability with hypersonic missile. Okay, so now we're going to get into some space tech, high-tech high stuff, and this, this idea of the United States falling behind, because this is troubling on a number of fronts, but from the, from the Cold War arms race notion... 
this one takes the cake. This is uh, this is an article here, Financial Times, Dimitri Sivastopolo and Catherine Hilly in Taipei. Uh, uh, Sivastopolo is in Washington, Catherine Hilly is in Taipei. This was published in the Financial Times. Here we go. China tested a nuclear-capable hypersonic missile in August that circled the globe before speeding toward its target, demonstrating an advanced space capability that caught U.S. intelligence by surprise. Five people familiar with the test said the Chinese military launched a rocket that carried a hypersonic glide vehicle which flew through low-orbit space before cruising down towards its target. The missile missed its target by about two dozen miles, according to three people briefed on the intelligence, but two said the test showed that China had made astounding progress on hypersonic weapons and was far more advanced than U.S. officials realized. The test has raised new questions about why the U.S. often underestimated China's military modernization. A fourth person says, quote, We have no idea how they did this. This on top of this on top of what happened in Afghanistan tells me that our intelligence operations are broken. And if we're going to be getting into a new arms race, a new Cold War with China, who has not signed on to any nuclear proliferation treaties or agreements or anything like that, we're behind the eight ball on this. And a lot of people who are laughing about the United States Space Force I have to wonder what their reaction to this is. Because this does now get into, you know, if you're in the low orbitals, like we just saw with William Shatner's trip up to, uh, what, 500,000 kilometers or whatever it was that was there. What it, the, the boundary line past what's recognized as, okay, here's the, here's the line now and you're in space. You know, the the New Shepard launch was all of, what, 10 minutes? How long does it take to circle the globe at low orbit? And if this is the case, that the Chinese have this kind of technology, and yes, Mazers, that, that's a good reaction. It could be stolen technology. Maybe we had it first. But this is concerning. And it raises the specter, and I use that word specifically because specter, it, it, it speaks to the danger that we face getting into low orbit, high orbit, off to the moon, off to Mars, whatever else, because let's say just for a moment. Let's say that China, having having successfully tested this thing, let's say they have enough 
that they can deploy forward with some of this. And let's say that China decides that while Brandon's in office, we'll go invade Taiwan. If you have this kind of technology, this hypersonic glide vehicle, hypersonic meaning above the, the speed of sound, that's fast. You point it and you fire it, and we don't have any missile defense technology to counter it, at least as far as we know. Mazur says, DARPA and Raytheon have been testing U.S. hypersonic weapons for the last few years, just pointing out we do have it. And, and I, I can believe that we have it, but I also believe that the current leadership doesn't have the political will to do anything with it. Uh, I think you're I think you're right about China planting a flag on the moon. I know they've sent a mission there, a, 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 a lander or a, a probe or some kind of a little thing, kind of like what we've sent to Mars. Uh, and yes, I think I think China is flexing its muscles all the way around. And I think that the previous administration had a little bit of foresight. In, in creating the Space Force so they can concentrate specifically on the upper atmosphere, the, the low and high orbits, L5 position, you know, the Grange positions and all of that, and, and whatever activity happens past that out to the moon and Mars and, and such. Because it is a different area of operation. It is a different... Uh, theater of operations, if you will, because there are no boundaries in space other than territorial ownership of the crafts. I mean, if you have a, a space, I mean, the space station is the International Space Station, but you've also got the Chinese space station. And I would expect that the Chinese space station would be considered Chinese territory. And now you're going to have to define your your parameters again. Okay, well, how much of this is, you know, how do we define international space like we do international waters? You know, where's your border? Where's your, where's your property with relation to everybody else? And if China is going to have this kind of a technology, and they're actually actively pursuing it, unlike us, when we I don't know that we are or not, but you've got a general out there who's posting on Instagram her manicure and complaining that the that the dress code doesn't allow for the manicure. So, oh, now that I'm coming back off of vacation, I'm going to have to get rid of it. Priorities. I think our priorities are a little askew, shall we say? Because if you have craft, spacecraft capabilities, and the Chinese do, we have it, the Indians have it, The Russians. I don't know. The, the, have, have the Italians gotten very far in their in their space program? I can't remember. 
you have the European Space Agency. Uh, Justin Case says, Russia had nuclear-powered hypersonic cruise missiles for a couple of years, too. I came uncomfortably close in 20, 2019 when a radioactive cloud from the failed test drifted across Allend, where I reside. Oh, that's not good. Of course, the Russian... We, we know that the Russian technology is not up to speed on a, a lot of this. It's, it's kind of like the, the difference in technology between the, the Manticoran Navy and the Havenite Navy in the, in the Anna Harrington books. They're always, the Havenites were always behind. And the Manticorans were, you know, the most advanced weapons, the most advanced ships, uh, better technology than anybody else around them. And a parallel can be drawn here. The United States, by and large, not all the time, not 100% of the time, but by and large, we do have the capability to develop technology that's better than anybody else has in the world. We just have to be willing to do it. I'm reminded of an interview that Buzz Aldrin did on Nightline on the anniversary of an Apollo 11's mission and he told Ted Koppel at the time, and I can't remember, I want to say that this was, this was 80, 81, 80, you know, some, some, sometime in the 80s. And Buzz Aldrin said that the original timeline for the space program was a few more missions, on, uh, a few more missions out of, of Apollo on the moon, and then we'd start going further. And he said, if we had stuck to the original plan, we would have had an operational base on Mars by 1980. But Richard Nixon decided that it wasn't politically advantageous enough and put the whole thing on ice. And whatever you think about, you know, Republicans versus Democrats, liberals, conservatives, the space program is a little bit different animal. And if you have the Chinese willing to go out and plant a flag on on the moon and be looking at what's happening out, you know, what goes next to Mars, the space race could really ramp up and could have an arms race component to it because we don't have the same kind of treaties and agreements with China that we did with the Soviet Union, which now doesn't exist. <coughs> Excuse me. Mazur says, we are ironically about to go back to the moon. SLS rocket launched the unmanned capsule Orion for future manned missions around the moon. One orbit then returns and manned missions start again. SLS rocket launches in November. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Because it, it, if China decides they want to get out ahead of us, they probably can. Because we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs worried about what kind of mask you've got on your face and what kind of permissions you need to move about the country. And we're not focused on the existential threat that's presented to us by China. Because let's say China's got four or five of these hypersonic missiles. And if they're nuclear capable, and if we don't have an adequate defense against them, and I'm, I'm not assuming we do or we don't, 
but that could do a lot of damage. And if China decides to invade Taiwan, and they will, it's not a question of if, it's a matter of when. It is coming. I, I fully expected it to happen before now. But we are on our way to a Hunger Games scenario, I think. Dystopian future where nuclear weapons become a new danger all over again. And we're going to sit here, like, like Mazur says, we're going to sit here twiddling our thumbs, arguing about pronouns and what bathroom you get to use, and we're not preparing for the threat that China poses, not just to the United States, but to the entire world. And China, and Russia, and Afghanistan, and Iran, they're going to make a mess of things. It's going to be up to us to stop them. Are we prepared? Are we prepared for that? We're going to be fighting each other when we should be preparing to fight them. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point where we have to fight anybody. But there we are. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Uh, thank you for your comments in the chat. Go over to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash sci-fi for me, and uh, give Ryan a few eyeballs over there for a little bit. He's playing Portal 2 still, I think probably for another half an hour or so, or maybe another hour. Uh, let me look see what he said he was going to do, because he's on there right now as we speak, and he's going to be playing... Oh, from an, oh, for another for another 15 minutes or so. So go jump in there, say hi, uh, tell them I sent you, and we will be back tomorrow. I, we may have a guest tomorrow, but I'm not sure yet because he might have jury duty. So tomorrow, we'll see. Mazeret um, uh, oh, has a good question. In a dystopian horror future reality, would a United States-turned-socialist-communist be allies with China? Probably not, because it would be a different kind of of socialism. Oh, Ryan just got off the off, off the stream, so you missed your chance. We'll do it again. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how it goes, right? You know, live streams just uh, pop up and then they go away. All right, thanks very much for being here, everyone. Remember, they want you to think that there are five lights, but there are only four lights. Back tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.